listeners. This episode was recorded with a live audience, but not with you, Helen Hong. No, I had a gig out of town, so sadly I could not make the show. Well, how was the gig? Um, I... I, (laughs) That good, huh? (laughs) (laughs) You know what? Uh, it was fine. I always love our live recordings, so I was sad to miss it. But yeah, I had to make that. Uh, I had to make that cheddar. I understand. So, well, uh, I have to go on the road. Sure. Well, there's more cheddar to be made uh, coming up. I understand. Yes, there's more chances for you, our devoted listeners, to come see me do stand up. If you live in Covina, I will be at the Laugh Factory Covina on November 26th. And if you live in San Francisco, I will be at the San Francisco Punchline on December 11th doing a breast cancer awareness fundraiser. And I will be talking about my new boobies. So definitely come to that one. Oh, for sure. And of course, Helen, you will be back with us for our next live audience show, which is on Saturday, December 2nd with our friends at LAist in Pasadena. Yes, and our scheduled guests from Bob Hart's Abby Shola are Billy Gardell and Gina Yashere. Our last Pasadena show sold out, so make sure to get your tickets now at gofactyourpod.com. And a couple other things about the episode you're about to hear. We had a little tech issue toward the end of the show. When Helen's not there, everything just falls apart. Uh, mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so some of the audio came through only one little tiny microphone instead of the four big ones. You'll see. It'll be fine. You'll get through it. I love you. Um, Also, we recorded this episode while the Hollywood strikes were still going on. Thankfully, those are now over, but you will hear us reference them and why we can and can't talk about certain things. I am so glad the strikes are over and so glad to be back with you on our next episode. But right now, here is the fabulous Nicole Thurman. Are you a real know-it-all? Do you annoy your family by shouting the answers while watching Jeopardy? Do you drive people crazy when you start a sentence with, well, actually, well, guess what? You can go fact yourself. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Go Fact Yourself, the show where we quiz the smartest people we know and find out why they love what they love. I'm Nicole Thurman, in for Helen Hong, and now from the Carl Sagan and Andrian Theater in the Center for Inquiry West in Los Angeles, here's our moderator, Jakey Van Stratton. Thank you so much, everybody. Thank you, Nicole. Wonderful to see you. Thank you for stepping in. Helen ha- Helen apparently had a, uh, what they call a gig. Ooh, yes. fancy. Fancy. I remember gigs. They were <laughs> yeah. fun. Yeah. <laughs> it's an interesting time for someone who works as a writer and as an actor as in show business. As a writer and actor, yeah. we're just taking, we're here. We're hosting podcasts and hanging out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> but well, I did find a good pool like two weeks ago, so I'm happy. I'm wh- good. What kind of a pool? Um, it was on top of a roof downtown mm-hmm. at a hotel. That's like my favorite kind of pool on the roof, uh, you know, where that- you can see everything. Now, when you say you found it, like you were... You I was like, what? Am I, what's that? No, I needed a staycation. I was Got like it. having a strike breakdown and I was like, you know what? I need to get out of my house because my house is mm-hmm. depressing. Mm-hmm. And so I went to the Hoxton downtown, stayed. There was like a pool. I had my dog at the pool. We were chilling. She goes everywhere with me, mm-hmm. <laughs> as you know. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it was very fun. It was very nice. What do you look for in a staycation that you wouldn't have maybe on a vacation besides perhaps not flying? A big pool, quiet. I don't want it to be like a party hotel. A nice room mm-hmm. that's not humid. <laughs> I have a weird hotel requirement where yeah. like it can't be a humid hotel because I feel like that's such a thing. Like when I was a kid, we would always stay in like these shitty, like humid hotels, and me and my sisters all have uh, you know like PTSD from it. So. <laughs> 
Very specific, but We're, that's what I look for. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that that was a feature that I needed to, to, to a box I needed to tick when I was searching on Hotels.com. I'll tell you what, when you want to have a nice night, you yeah. want to be in a dry-ass hotel room. Okay. <laughs> have a great vacation, everybody. <laughs> Today on Go Fact Yourself, two guests will compete to answer questions about facts they know, facts they may not know, and frankly, facts they should know. Plus, we'll meet actual experts on two very different topics. And finally, we'll declare one of our guests the winner of today's show. Let's get started and meet today's guest, Nicole, who is up first. All right. He's a writer and comedian who is in his 14th year of hosting the popular podcast, The 40-Year-Old Boy. It's Mike Schmidt. Mike Schmidt, everybody. Mike Schmidt. Hello, Mike. Hi. Wow. You have been previously booked on this show uh, more than more than one time. Uh, do you want to talk about what happened in those two times? This is my third attempt at being and joining all of you here with Go Fact Yourself. The first time I was booked, and again, feel free to hang this on me, I was ready to come in and do great. Mm-hmm. And I, I, what did they call it? I believe the uh, international pandemic. Oh, pandemic. Oh, yeah, yes. there was a yes. pandemic. Yes. Uh, yes. Literally the week it happened. They closed the NBA Wednesday. He texted me Thursday morning. But also, you panicked. You were like, should we still do this? I'm like, they closed the NBA. I don't know if I would call that panic as much as being open-minded to what your experience was. Well, it was a crazy time. We didn't quite know what was happening. True. And uh, we were trying to figure out if we should still do this. And it turned out, uh, obviously not. Yes, but then then you did book me last year. And then, unfortunately, uh, the lovely and talented, our our great friend Helen Hong, became sick. Not pandemic sick. Yeah. Uh, and then it finally worked out for today. Well, it did. Well, all right. Yes, but not without incident. Because he gave me dates, a range of dates to choose from. And uh, there was, I chose this one. My other date was uh, two weeks ago, and a hurricane hit Los Angeles. That's crazy. So I, I don't know how I missed it. Because I even texted him, and I go, I, there's going to be a volcano the day I show up. <laughs> That's right. Uh, so, yeah. So, Excellent. So, well, we're so happy that it finally worked out. Uh, your you. podcast, The 40-Year-Old Boy. Mm-hmm. Uh, how long have you been The 40-Year-Old Boy, keeping in mind that this is now in its 14th year? The math gets screwy. Okay. Um, <laughs> when I started, uh, I was truly, I was the 40-Year-Old Boy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you, you, I mean, the name's too good. I mean, it wasn't mm-hmm. those things that I could change going forward. There's a little character. There's branding. Branding, yeah. folks. Yeah. <laughs> because also, I've actually... Between taking time off and stuff like that, I'm in the 14th year, but I'm, I'm 56. Mm. So somewhere we lost two years. I think it, was, it may have been the pandemic. It may have been frankly, that same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, that makes so, sense. yeah. So, but yeah, I've been doing it 14 years, but I was, I was 40 when I started, and then here we are now. Great. Well, what's so amazing about the show is that it is just you. You describe it as a couple hours of a stream of consciousness. Mm-hmm. Listening to it, though, it, that doesn't really cover it. It's really more of like a vast network of waterways of consciousness. <laughs> where, where What's so great about it, you'll start on one topic, you'll go off and do another thing, then that'll branch into something else, and then it'll come back to the first thing, but then also the second mm-hmm. thing and the third thing. It, it, it's such a, uh, an incredible feat that I see. Is it true that you really don't plan anything when you're doing that? I don't. I, um, I call it talking at the speed of my head. Okay. So literally, I just, I'll, I'll set, I mean, I'll have a general idea of something I might have done. Yeah. But I mean, this week, you know, I was going to tell a story about an orientation thing that I went to, and I wound up talking about snake podcasts. I mean, it's literally, you just, <laughs> I, I, it's just nonsense. Do you ever struggle to fill the time? Because it seems like, like you're actually trying to cut yourself off rather than fill the time up. Well, I'll, I'll tell you a, a story about that. I, I was... I booked. I did a four wall theater tour. I booked the show on the road, mm-hmm. and I had a. I wrote a one man show that was about two hours long. But before the two hours of the one man show, I would do an hour of like what I had done in town as a stand up. Mm-hmm. Like I did three hours and forty minutes in St. Louis, <laughs> uh, just nonsense. And, and and I'm not doing it again. Please, okay. I, I just because I love it. But then in my brain, because I'm in San Francisco, people had to leave the late show because the trains were closing. It was ridiculous. <laughs> um, so there was a guy in Toronto. I tried to book Comedy Bar to go there and do it. 
And uh, he scoffed at me on the phone. And he's like, because I said, I need a four hour window because the show's sometimes, sometimes three hours. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, nobody does a three hour show. Like, you're not doing a three hour show. And uh, not only was the show three hours and 15 minutes, mm. but the subsequent podcast was over four hours. Wow. wow. And that's why they call you the Bruce Springsteen of comedy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Last thing I want to ask you about yes, of course, you were named Mike Schmidt. People yes. may be familiar that there was a Hall of Fame baseball player named Mike Schmidt. There is. There's a p- famous political consultant. There's a New York mm-hmm. Times uh, reporter. Uh, do you know of other Mike Schmidts that you've met along your way? Weirdly, though, this is the worst one. There's another comedian named Mike Schmidt. What? <laughs> and I'm from Chicago, and he's from Wisconsin, and then he moved out here, and he he was at the store all the time, so I would get his mail, and I, find, I didn't meet him for like five years, and then I went to the store, and he was there, and he's like, oh, you're you, and I'm like, oh, you're you. <laughs> I was getting notes from him, and, and it, people were it's sending like the Spider-Man time. meme it was at the same time, <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah, so it was, just, it was, and he was a cool guy. It was nice, but he had been, because we're both from the Midwest, both right. named Mike Schmidt, and we had worked the road in the Midwest separately, because I was like 15 years older than the guy. How do you resolve that? Does he take an initial? Does well, he's he dead now. Oh, okay, uh, well. Uh, we stepped outside. Him. God, I love this dude. Everybody else is like, you dead now? <laughs> Backstage, like I actually murder. jumped. Yes. He left, and I go, I think that was a guffaw. I haven't heard a guffaw <laughs> in 25 years. But good for you. Please keep it up. Excellent. Well, we're happy that you joined us. The guffaw-inducing Mike Schmidt. Woo-hoo! The real Mike Schmidt, as far as I'm concerned. That's right. Nicole, against whom will Mike be competing? Oh, well, she is an actor who's been seen on Broadway, on TV, and in movies. It's Anna Camp! Anna Camp is here! Yay! Hello, Anna. So nice of you to join us. So nice to be here. I'm very excited. Thanks for having me. Now, you, of course, are in the Screen Actors Guild and after, so you're not going to be talking about any specific upcoming projects. Anna, did I read correctly that you actually were shooting a show when the strike happened and got it shut down? Yes. What was that yes. like? So um, I was actually shooting an amazing TV show, um, and I'm not promoting it because it's not even coming out yet, but it's yeah. called Hysteria. <laughs> and it's set in 1989, and it's about the satanic panic. So it's about um, these young high school kids that start to join this really cool like goth band um, Mm. and I play a woman who is like a cult leader like a Christian conservative cult leader who is trying to rid the world of that kind of music so kind of Mm. similar to my True Blood days where I played Sarah Newland Um, but yeah we were three episodes in and then we got a call around six in the morning I had to be at work at 630 and they said don't come in We're, we're shutting down for the WGA strike they apparently had two picketers because we were in Covington, Georgia, a very small town outside of Atlanta. And uh, because we had two picketers, the entire show shut down. What a great message, though, yeah. that two people can uh, make such a difference. You know, they, say, they say that yeah. no one person can, and I guess that's true. You need two. You need another person. You need person. two. <laughs> yeah. You need another person. Two. Yeah. I hey. thought one was enough. That's two. That's two. One of us. Okay. A lot of musical theater people up here. Run! Everybody run! I was reading in the trades that uh, you are working on another show that has an interim agreement with one of your Pitch Perfect co-stars. Uh, yes, I do. This is actually a film that we just wrapped production. SAG um, gave us a waiver, an mm-hmm. interim agreement. It's called Bride Hard. So it's kind of nice. like Die Hard, sure. but Bride Hard. The other title we're looking at is Bride or Die. So, um, <laughs> I think Rebel, the audience chooses that one yeah, if, yeah, if we have a choice. Yeah. Rebel Wilson and I are reunited again. So it's really, yeah. really fun. And I get to be the bride of Bride Hard. Oh, fun. So it's an action comedy. We're really excited. Very cool. You are not a stranger to the stage. You've been on Broadway a bunch. Your debut... 
play on Broadway. Tell us who starred in it with you and who directed it, because this is pretty amazing. There's a couple people that you might have heard of. Mm -hmm. um, Morgan Freeman. Wow. Um, <laughs> Frances McDormand. Ooh. Wow. Love her so much. And Peter Gallagher. <gasps> what the? I and worked with him as well. He's He's best. amazing. I'm so sorry, sweet, so talented. They were also <laughs> yeah. incredible. Um, but it's a very pinch me moment that Mike Nichols directed wow. me and my very, very, very first Broadway play. Unbelievable. Funny story about Morgan. Please. He did fall asleep once because <gasps> backstage. Oh, okay. So, no. <laughs> no. okay. Ba but backstage. So we were um, we were backstage, like just similar to this, but you, I couldn't cross to tell him to wake up and his <laughs> cue. He, he had missed his cue. Yeah, which by the way, we should point out for people not familiar with the theater, not usually the job of a co-star no, in the show. No, okay. not usually, yeah. especially like yeah, me exactly. and my very, yeah. my very first job ever. I was like really uh. young, like right out of college and um, and I couldn't cross the way to say anything because then I would be seen in the light. Yeah. Frances McDormand is on stage and she's just vamping and vamping and I'm like, oh my God. So all I could do was go, Morgan, <laughs> Morgan, Morgan. And then finally he like looked up and I go, you're on like wow. that and he woke up and he just went right on stage like nothing had happened wow. and I sat there and I was sweating <laughs> oh my costume I had a wig on and I had like sweat like dripping down and he my was completely body. cool I'm and guessing and he would, like did not even skip a beat like a breath of like fresh air walking out on the stage and I like probably forgot my one line <laughs> <laughs> well, last thing I want to ask you about your performance debut I understand your first role even though you're known for playing a lot of uh, nice people you actually played a drug dealer. Can you tell us what that production was? I cannot believe that you brought this up. Oh. No, I hope it's okay. Um, yes, I got asked to play the drug dealer, which I was really actually like kind of shocked by. Um, all these other kids got to be like the cool kids that say no to drugs. And I was like, huh, me? Okay. And how old were you at this point, if you don't this mind me asking? This is second grade. Second grade. What? Second grade drug dealer. Wait, yes. what was the show? Um, uh. It was a dare play. So dare <laughs> to keep kids off drugs. Oh, he, uh. really, he really went digging in the vault, didn't he? He really did. <laughs> You, this is like very, That's very, hilarious. very young. Um, and they gave us uh, jelly beans <gasps> to like push. <laughs> <laughs> And the other kids. And no one at that elementary school was hooked on jelly beans after that. That's how convincing wow. she was. Anna Camp, everybody. Thank you for being here, Anna Camp. Incredible. All right, Mike and Anna, we asked each of you to provide us with a few topics outside your field of work that you know and love. Mike, you said you know and love the movie Reservoir Dogs. Yes. The Road Warriors wrestling team. Yes, sir. And Van Halen. Yes, sir. Whereas, Anna, you said that you know and love Southern Cuisine the play and movie A Streetcar Named Desire, and the TV show Vanderpump Rules. <laughs> it's very varied. You yeah, know. Now, <laughs> now, I want to make sure. I didn't switch those between the two of no, you, no. right? Those were correct? You got it right. That's okay, right. just making yeah. sure. All right, well, later on, we're going to ask each of you some in-depth <laughs> trivia questions about one of those topics. But first, we're going to get your thoughts on something you might know nothing about. It's time to split some hairs with our What's the Difference round. We'll have one question for each of you, each worth up to two points. If either of you gives an incorrect or incorrect complete answer the other person has a chance to steal your topic today cops and robbers first up in cops and robbers is mike mike your question comes from a listener who is it nicole well i will let them tell you themselves because we have a listener recording listeners if you'd like to submit a suggestion for our what's the difference round go to gofactorpod.com and click on get involved all right play it hi go fact yourself team this is Kim Grazulis from Oswego, Illinois. My question for what's the difference is, while both might be cops, what's the difference between a sheriff and a chief of police? 
Thank you so much. All right. Thank you so much, Kim. Now, Mike, I saw you uh, light up when you heard Oswego, Illinois. Is that a place with which you're familiar? We used to play them in football. When oh, I was, uh, okay. Because I grew up in Chicago and uh, Bolingbroke was a suburb. So, yeah, we would see Oswego quite a bit. All right. Well, uh, you did hear the question from Kim. What is the difference between a sheriff and a chief of police? I, you know, I don't know all, all of the differences, mm-hmm. uh, but I think one for sure difference is I believe sheriffs are elected mm-hmm. and chiefs of police are appointed. Okay. That's what I would say. And in fact, you did. All right. Uh, we've got, uh, we don't have to imagine That's what you would do, That's what I would do, say Mike. if yeah. I were to say this. If you were to say it. that. Yeah. yeah. Nice. All right. Well, we do have Mike's answer. We don't know yet if he's entirely correct. Anna, if you don't think he got it just right, you can seal anything you'd like to add or change to that. As a previous drug dealer, I should know <laughs> the difference between... Yes. Um, you got I, busted a lot for those jelly beans, I you know. know then, but yeah. yeah, I think I was probably too high. Yeah. <laughs> no, the difference. So I'm going to say that I think that Mike is is right, mm-hmm. and I also just want to add a little uh, cinematic flair to, to this. Perhaps a sheriff is in the Wild West. <laughs> okay, in in, in what West? In the Wild Wild West. In the Wild West. Wild West. Okay. And yeah. perhaps a um, what is the other one? Police a, chief. Police chief, chief yeah. is in Gotham City. It's in Gotham yes. City. All right. All right, well, this segment needs to be arrested. Let's go to Nicole Thurman at the judge's table for the facts. Here are the facts. Keeping in mind that local jurisdictions can make their own rules, in general, a sheriff is employed by a county and elected by its citizens. A police chief is employed by a city and is appointed. Uh, That's right. Now, there's also marshals who are law enforcement officers from the federal government, but generally a sheriff or police chief will outrank them unless there is a federal case involving, say, a fugitive. Then the marshal is allowed to call for a hard target search of every gas station, residence, (laughs) warehouse, farmhouse, handhouse, outhouse, and doghouse in that area. Nicole, how did our guests do? Ooh, I like that. I don't know. It just felt very powerful, so now I'm into it. Um, Okay, for for this round, I'm going to give Mike one point because he got that a sheriff is elected and and a chief of police is appointed but listen Anna didn't necessarily do anything to add but (laughs) I love the cinematic flair of Wild West and the chief of police is Gotham so I'm gonna give Anna a point and Mike a point wow the cinematic flair works cinematic flair yeah yes and and by the way you are you are maintaining that score even though of course uh, the head of police in Gotham City I believe is a commissioner and not a chief of police does that affect your scoring at all Nicole no, because it was like, I like the way she just she said still it. She still likes the way she said it. Okay. <laughs> you got to say yeah. it with confidence, even if yeah. it's wrong. See? There's, right. a, lot of, there's a lot of that. factors here. Yeah, it sounds like, Mike, uh, you'll both be able to work the ref as it will t- <laughs> as it works tonight <laughs> if you're given that opportunity. All right, one point each. Up next in Cops and Robbers is Anna. Anna, while they both might want to avoid sheriffs and police chiefs, what's the difference between a criminal and a crook? A criminal and a crook. <laughs> A criminal is someone who is a bit of a mastermind who mm. does this uh, regularly, mm-hmm. one would say. And a crook is, <laughs> is just somebody who's like, hey, today I think I'm going to go pit pocket. <laughs> There's that cinematic flair we've come to expect. <laughs> I feel like this podcast should be called Go Flare Yourself. Okay. <laughs> That'll be our spinoff. Uh, all right, we've got Anna's answer. We don't know yet if she's entirely correct. Mike, anything you'd like to add or change? Well, I'll add this. I, I don't know if I care for you asking the question about criminals to the actual criminal sitting next to me. Because <laughs> clearly, she has a depth of knowledge that I'm not yeah. going to contain. It was just right. a role, but nevertheless. Right. Yeah. Uh, but I, I like her answer, and I, I got to say, I, I sort of agree. I think a criminal is someone who makes a career mm. of crime. Whereas a crook is somebody who just wanders into a liquor store one day and goes, hey, I want stuff, and then he <laughs> runs away. 
And th- that's fine, apparently. Sure. Yeah. I like that. You're allowed yeah. to do that. All right. Well, this segment is becoming criminally long. Let's go to Nicole <laughs> Thurman at the judge's table for the facts. <laughs> okay. Here are the facts. A criminal is someone who has committed an actual crime. It's kind of in the name. And a crook is someone who is generally untrustworthy or crooked, like a shady used car salesman or my ex-boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, I like, that, uh, I like that you're your own laugh track. Uh, <laughs> I said, hey <laughs> Anyway, what they do may not technically be a crime, but it is not entirely on the up and up. That's a crook. Uh, yes, that's right. Now, you can sometimes use crook to mean someone who's committed a crime, but those tend to be crimes of stealing or swindling. You wouldn't call a murderer, for instance, a crook, but you would call them the subject of most documentaries on Netflix. <laughs> Nicole, how did our guest do? Okay, so Anna said a criminal is a mastermind, and he regularly does it. I'm going to say he, because you know what? I'm just going to make a man a criminal. Um, One point. I'm going to do it because a mastermind, regular thing, criminal, they get convicted of it. A pickpocket, just kind of like whatever, Mm -hmm. you know? Okay. For Mike, Mike said that a criminal does this for like a career, regular as well. Mm -hmm. And I kind of like the way you acted it out. (laughs) (laughs) He's learning. Listen, I'm going to get get him back in the game because I... I do, I'm going to give Mike half a point on that one, and it's not, I'm not a misandrist. I problem. I, I, I love men. Men are great. But, <laughs> but the answers are very similar. So. Right. so, what's our score at the end of this round, Nicole? <laughs> if you can, Guys, this if is you exhausting. Recover, How does Helen do this? Yeah. So, at the end of this round, Mike has one and a half points, and yeah. has two. Very oh. close. Yeah. Very nice. I don't know how that happens. But those scores are bound to change as we move on to questions about topics our guests have chosen for themselves. That's all up ahead when we come back on Go Fact Yourself. Hey, everyone. We hope you're enjoying this episode of Go Fact Yourself. If you enjoy the show on the regular, we'd be so grateful if you'd write us a great review on your favorite podcast platform. As you know, we read a review on each episode, and we're running out of ones to read. So if you want to hear your name and review on an upcoming show, chances are good you will if you take a minute and write a review right now. It's a free and easy way to help out the show, and we really appreciate it. Thank you. Have you ever wanted to know the sad lore behind Chuck E. Cheese's love of birthday parties? Or, my Saturday mornings are reserved for cartoons? Or, have you wanted to know how beloved virtual pet site Neopets fell into the hands of Scientologists? Or, how a former Mattel employee managed to grow Sega into a video game powerhouse? Join us, hosts Austin and Brenda, and learn all of these things and more at Secret Histories of Nerd Mysteries, now on Maximum Fun. Welcome back to Go Fact Yourself with our guests, Mike Schmidt and Anna Camp. Once again, here's J. Keith Van Stratton. Thank you so much. All right, Mike, of your many interests, you told us that you know and love the movie Reservoir Dogs, the Road Warriors wrestling team, and Van Halen. Let's find out a little bit more about each of those. First, tell us what it is that you know and love about Reservoir Dogs. Reservoir Dogs was the first movie I ever walked into a theater and saw and thought someone had made it specifically for me. Mm. The language, the verbiage, I like a lot of violence. I I was so ensnared completely that I walked across the street, and this is 92, I got payphone change. (laughs) And I called my friends in Chicago and uh, told them I could not stop talking about it, and then I went across the street and I watched it again. Wow. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, it was the first movie ever 
that I felt someone like went into my brain and scraped it and made a movie out of it. That's very crazy. cool. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Uh, wonderful. All right. And then next, tell us what the Road Warriors wrestling team means to you. Wrestling is, look, I get it. Phony, fake, ballet, whatever you want to say, and that's fine. But it requires athletic skill and all this stuff. But I also like a little hate in my fights. I like a little violence <laughs> in my stuff. You like a little fight in your fight. Exactly. Yeah. So the Road Warriors were, uh, they were combined weight, 500, I can still do the intro, actually. At a combined <laughs> wow. weight, uh, 567 pounds. And they were monstrous. They were muscle dudes. And they were based off the movie The Road Warrior, but they would wear face paint and shave their hair into crazy things. And they would just come out and they would absolutely beat the hell out of everybody that they fought. They would just come in. And I knew it was fake. I knew it was. Right. But it didn't matter because the whole vibe of their costumes and the aggression and the music just, I went every month and would go see them live and then watch them on TV constantly. They were, they were on my walls. It was crazy. I loved them very much. All right. And then finally, tell us what Van Halen means to you. Van Halen was the first band that was mine. Mm. I grew up on my mom's music. I grew up, my mom loved Motown. She loved Elvis. And so that's what I would listen to in AM radio in the 70s. I'm an old man. Uh, <laughs> and I actually discovered Van Halen through Van Halen 2. Van Halen 1 didn't enter my life. These are after albums that they Exactly. Put Van Halen 1 is the seminal album. It's the one that everybody talks about. It was, it was just landed in 77, and I was only 10. When I wound up in seventh grade, I wound up hearing Van Halen 2, and the combination of Eddie and Dave, I, and you know, Alex on drums is amazing. Michael's a terrific bass player, but Eddie Van Halen became a hero of mine. He mm. just was. I can I can never play an instrument. I can play like this. I can do air guitar to death, <laughs> but I can't play it. I just didn't have the. Yeah. I, you seem to think a very small one right at your neck. Listen, by the well, way, well, you know what? Yeah. Van Halen has a song called "Little Guitars," and they oh, play a little tiny one. See, there you go. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it wasn't a dirge. It was poppy, but fun, but also hard and and. His guitar work is ridiculous, and, and it was a great loss when he died. He's just uh, he's a legend, and he was one of my heroes. Yes, he gave you a lot of, uh, a lot of great times, it sounds Absolutely. Like. Absolutely. All right, well, to summarize, Mike, you said that you know and love the movie Reservoir Dogs, the Road Warriors wrestling team, and Van Halen. Mm-hmm. Today we're going to quiz you about Van Halen. Yeah! yeah! All right. Okay. Have you gotten to see them in concert uh, over the years? I've, I've probably seen them about eight times, probably. Okay. I, and I saw them with all three lead singers. I saw them with Gary Sharon. I saw them with Sammy. Mm-hmm. I had tickets to see them. My favorite album of all time is Fair Warning. Mm-hmm. It's their fourth album. Eddie was angry because Dave was going to leave the band, and it comes through in his guitar playing. And so I was going to go. We had tickets, and that was peak for their powers, Van Halen. They looked amazing. And uh, I got grounded, and my mom <gasps> took the tickets and went to the show. <gasps> No. Even though it wasn't Elvis or yes. Motown? Oh, my mom, cool. believe me, my mom. Like, wow. Every, and, yeah. and she, she knew how to stick it to went And <laughs> the, the 81 tour is legendary. You can Google it. They've, there's an Oakland, clips from Oakland where they just looked, they were gods. They were yeah. gods. And my mom came home that night. And she's always oh, amazing. <laughs> I mean, it is one thing to ground the kid and take the tickets away. It's another thing to use them. Yeah. <laughs> went to the show. Wow. She came um, all the merch and she's just like, crazy. Yeah, yeah, she did, bought a t-shirt. Did it, turn her, <laughs> did it turn her into a fan? She was on board anyway because my, uh, my mom liked drugs. So she was, you know, <laughs> nice, any gateway nice. band was fine with her. She was into a lot of different stuff. I knew stuff. a place you could have seen that might have helped with <laughs> that. But, uh, hey, I wish yeah. she could have come to my D-A-R. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, just ahead, we're going to enlist the help of a bona fide expert in your topic. Mike, with an expert level question worth up to three points. But before that, to let you show your love, here are five trivia questions about Van Halen, each worth one point. If you want it, you're allowed to hint for any two of these five questions. Now, Anna, do listen closely, because if Mike answers incorrectly, you can steal. By the way, Anna, how much do you know about Van Halen? Zero. Okay! Well, it'll be all that more impressive. Did you say say Van Halen or Vanderpump Halen? Because she... Yes, I didn't realize the connection there. Very nice. All right, here's question number one. Mike, Van Halen is regarded as one of the great American hard rock bands, but two of its original members, Eddie and Alex Van Halen, are not from America. 
Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> In what European country, home to many people with van names, were they born? Uh, I'm, I'm headed directly to Half Pointville. Oh. <laughs> because I know they're Dutch. Right. But is that Denmark? Is that your answer? No, Holland. Is that your answer? Yes. I'm going to say Holland. Nicole? That is correct. That is correct. We also would have accepted the Netherlands. Fun fact, I don't know what the difference is between Holland and the Netherlands. (laughs) Even though I am of Dutch ancestry, and even though we did a What's the Difference segment about it on episode 42 of Go Fact Yourself. (laughs) Here's question number two. Van Halen isn't just a part of rock history. They're also a part of history history. In 1989, when Panamanian strongman Manuel Noriega refused to surrender to authorities on drug trafficking charges, the U.S. Army used psychological warfare, blasting loud music at his location to encourage compliance. That playlist included heavy rotation of what appropriately titled Van Halen song. Well, I'm probably going to have to reach down and between my legs and ease the seat back. Panama by Van Halen. <laughs> Nicole? That is correct. That is correct. It is Panama. I believe you were quoting. You were not just I being was. lascivious for uh, no reason. Okay, okay, great. Fun fact. Other songs on the Army's playlist include You Shook Me All Night Long by ACDC, Welcome to the Jungle by Guns N' Roses, and Never Gonna Give You Up by Rick Astley. <laughs> they also blasted what has been described as disturbing chicken noises. <laughs> Although that, that might have just been Rick Astley. Here's question. <laughs> Here's question number three. You're two for two. Mike, Van Halen had an astounding five albums hit number one on the Billboard 200 charts. But which of the following was not one of them? Was it For Unlawful Carnal Knowledge, 5150, OU812, Balance, or Tokyo Dome Live in Concert? Tokyo Dome Live in Concert is the answer. Nicole? That is correct. That is correct. Nice. Said with confidence. No fool in there. That album is awful. Oh, okay. So it was it was it was deserved it was deserved not to be you number one. You know what's one. funny if you listen to it because they, they, I I felt Van Halen released it as a like a to make Dave angry like because <laughs> he sounded so terrible later. But, but it boy, sounds like oh, it boy. made Mike angry. Uh, it, it truly did. Yeah, I was looking forward, and then it's just. But I think they almost just put it out there like, yeah, you know yeah. what, Dave, take that. Uh, fun fact: it did hit number twenty on the Billboard two hundred uh, for unlawful carnal knowledge. Won the band their only Grammy award. The first letters in the words of that album title spell a naughty word. Ooh. For unlawful carnal knowledge. You're three for three, Mike. You have your two hints available. Here's question number four. Keep them. (laughs) (laughs) Eddie Van Halen revolutionized rock and roll guitar playing with a style that's been described as warm, organic, heavy, and powerful. What colorful two-word term has become synonymous with his signature style? I don't know if it was something that that people talked about before that, but he always referred to it as... The Brown Sound. Nicole? That is correct. That is correct. Four for four. Wow. Fun fact. Funny that you mentioned. Despite the common belief that Eddie Van Halen gave this description himself in a 2015 interview, he clarified that when he talked about a brown sound, he was referring to the way his brother Alex played the snare drum. Quote, like he's beating on a log. And not his own guitar playing. Uh, by the way, brown also the color that was famously to be removed from backstage bowls of M&Ms, according to the band's tour writer. Yep. <laughs> All right, you're four for four. You have a chance to go five for five. Let's do you can it. get this question I'm correct. I'm excited. In a 1997 interview with Howard Stern, David Lee Roth revealed that he improvised some lyrics while recording what would become a big song for Van Halen. Which song was it? <laughs> 
no, 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 don't take them off. Don't take them off. Leave them on. Leave them on. I like the way the line runs up the back of the stocking. That's everybody wants some oh off of Women and Children First. Nicole? I'm sorry, but that's correct. I had to Mike get Mike is five He's for five. Good. Five for five with no hints. Wow. Very, very nice. And he was nice. quoting that song as well. Fun fact, Roth said he didn't have lyrics prepared for that part of the song, so he just started singing about what a couple of women at the studio were wearing, <laughs> which might explain his improvised lyrics. I like the way the line runs up the back of their stockings. I've always liked those kind of high heels, too. Yes, sir. It pretty much just stayed below the, <laughs> below the waist there. He was working his way up, but by that time, the bridge was over. Uh, <laughs> Very, very nice job, Mike. You obviously did very well in that round, but now here is your expert-level question that requires multiple answers. It is time for your cluster fact. Nice. We'll be bringing on an expert to discuss your response. Mike, author Greg Renoff's celebrated book about the band Van Halen Rising investigates their early days and how they made their mark with the help of some other well-known bands. For up to three points, as depicted in that book, before becoming Van Halen, what was the first name the band performed as, which they changed when they discovered a successful British band was already using it? Next, what was the first headlining band that Van Halen opened for on a national tour? And what band song, You Really Got Me, did Van Halen cover for their first released single? All right. One of these is a problem. Um, <laughs> finally, finally, a little bit of a challenge yeah. for you. Uh, the first answer, uh, Mammoth was the original name of the band. Okay. And I think the first tour, what we're talking about is uh, they went out with Black Sabbath. Okay. And uh, Black Sabbath had a lot of trouble following them on that tour. And they actually had to get off the tour because of it. And then third, uh, the You Really Got Me off mm-hmm. the first album uh, was made famous by the Kinks. All right. Well, Nicole is taking note of those answers. We have an expert on hand who can tell us for sure. Nicole, who do we have tonight? Joining us tonight via Zoom from Tulsa, Oklahoma, is the author of the celebrated book, Van Halen Rising. It's Greg Renoff. Greg Renoff. Greg, it's so wonderful to have you here. You actually have written two books related to Van Halen. Tell us this other book uh, that's out more recently. Yeah, I wrote in collaboration with Ted Templeman, who is Van Halen's longtime producer, produced their first uh, six records and then worked with David Lee Roth after that and also worked with the Doobie Brothers and Little Feet. So I collaborated with him on his autobiography. I read that book. You've got a customer right it's here. It's terrific. It's so great. I really enjoy it. Thank you. I love Ted telling the story about when you know he, he basically sided with Dave and then Dave fires him. And then... And then he has to come. I'm sorry. Go ahead. It's your segment. Shut up. <laughs> no, it's, I, yeah, I really loved a, it. I enjoyed the Templeman biography very much. I appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, well, uh, not only are you a biographer, you actually have a PhD in American history. You are Dr. Uh, Renoff joining us tonight. Um, why did you want to write a book about Van Halen? And uh, did your work in American history help inform how you uh, wrote and researched that? Like Mike, uh, I saw the 1984 tour and I just fell in love with Van Halen. So it was always sort of a passion for me and as a historian i got really interested in the beginnings of the band and talked to a few people in los angeles uh, initially who had grew up in pasadena and talked about the keggers van halen used to have and how the cops would come and helicopters would come and it just sort of it snowballed into a book so it really wasn't like i had a master plan but yes my my historical training was i guess i'm not sure my mentors uh who invested a lot of my education are thrilled with the you know maybe thrilled with that but yes it invested a lot in sort of my ability to tell the story and kind of 
connected up their journey from yeah from the backyards of Pasadena all the way to stadiums by 1978. Yeah, we got enough books about Benedict Arnold and all that. You know, exactly. We needed a book about <laughs> exactly. Van Halen. Well, I know that exactly. Uh, yeah, well, I know that you agree with Mike that you you really see Van Halen as as up there with bands like the Who and and Led Zeppelin. Uh, why is that that you think they they should be there and that maybe they don't get enough credit? Well, I mean, if you watched MTV in the 80s, I mean, I, I think Mike's probably a little bit older than me, but you know, if I look back on my 80s rock interests like all the bands that came out of LA that followed Van Halen which really were a lot of them were were never well I'd say all of them were never as good as Van Halen but there was very much this idea of taking what I would call like a pop sound and melding it with heavy metal so basically like heavy metal guitar heavy metal screams with like pop songs like Jump or Dance the Night Away I mean Van Halen basically put the blueprint for that whole 80s pop metal glam metal sound together uh, Mike definitely agrees with that, as does uh, some of our audience here. Uh, you did a lot of research uh, in this book, um, especially in the early days. Uh, what, what, were, what comes to mind when you think about some of the surprising discoveries that you made? <laughs> I'll tell you, there was a, there's a famous story of David Lee Roth talking about it. They played a wedding, and you know the, the, the folks were not familiar with their original songs. You know, they played, you know, they would play mostly like pop hits of the day, whatever yeah. that was on the radio. They'd be playing, but they would throw in their own songs to kind of slip them in. And they, some, they played "Somebody Get Me a Doctor" and David Lee Roth said that some lady came up and said, you play that somebody get me a Datsun song. I love that car. That's my car. Play that Datsun song again. You know, they just, sort of like, they just you know, went along and played their songs. And so um, I always think too, the one thing that's great about the American dream story with the brothers, especially coming to America and didn't have a lot of money. And they meet up with this very different character and David Lee Roth and those guys, nothing was handed to those guys. Nobody sort of said like, Oh, you guys should be superstars here. You just, you know, let's just pluck you into a, a record deal. They had to really, fight their way to the top. You, know, you mentioned the brothers. Uh, I know that you'd wanted the brothers to participate in the book. Uh, mm-hmm. Tell us uh, what their response was when, when you asked. Uh, you know, it was nothing dramatic. I mean, I, I basically um, wrote to uh, the publicist and, you know, I got a very polite, they're not available for interviews. And that, w- that was fine. And um, the interesting thing is that, you know, some years later, I had a basically a mutual friend who had a friend, friend who had a friend who had a friend sure. who actually was, I got to visit Eddie's house this mutual friend was talking to her at one point and, and she said, your friend, what's your friend's book's name? It's like Van Halen Rising. She goes, oh yeah, that book's in the house. And so I, as I uh, like to tell people, I said, I don't know if it's actually read or not got open, but it, it survived enough to actually, actually make it into the house, supposedly and made it to a bookshelf in Eddie's house. So I, you know, I consider that to be a major, a major victory. Yeah, that, that's a five-star um, review in my that's opinion. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think, I think it's funny. Eddie said a couple of times something that was along the line, like, you know, why do I need to re- read a book about Van Halen? He just meant any book about Van Halen because I lived it, which, you know, which makes sense to me. That's pretty much the rock and roll answer. Yeah. Uh, last go. thing I want to ask you, we talked about the Netherlands and Holland earlier. Uh, you actually confronted that, uh, that issue when you were writing about them before. Yeah, I don't want to offend anybody, but, it, you know, I, I had said, and I wrote an article in the LA Times um, in the, the, after Eddie passed about, basically the Pasadena story of the Van Halens. And um, I called in the article Holland and then a couple, you know, angry people in the comments were like, it's the Netherlands or, you know, I, I didn't realize, you know, it's like you step into something, you're like, you know, my apologies. I, I you know, I no offense, you know, but uh, yeah. And I, again, I don't even remember the difference. I just sort of like, you know, duly noted. I'll, I'll be careful. I'll be, I'll be aware of the distinction in the future. That was kind of where it was. But at least you, you didn't know. say Denmark. No, I didn't. <laughs> Avoid that. Yeah, it's okay. Hey, you think Mike did great? Mike, I was like, man, Mike knows his stuff. He definitely does. All right, well, let's get to the reason we brought you here. As far as our game is concerned, you heard the questions that we asked of Mike. First, we wanted to know what was the first name that Van Halen performed as, which they later changed when they discovered that a successful British band was already using it. Nicole, what did Mike say? Mike said Mammoth. And uh, Doctor, uh, Mike is correct insofar that the name that preceded Van Halen was Mammoth, but. 
before they were called Mammoth, they actually were called Genesis. And this is a very funny story, which is that the brothers were apparently with playing a little power trio. This is before David Lee Roth joined the band. They were calling themselves Genesis. And then they went into a record store in Pasadena and they were going through the G's and they pulled out a record and it was by the British prog band Genesis. And they looked at each other and goes, I guess we got a record out already, huh? And so, they, <laughs> they had to change. so then they quickly changed their name to Mammoth. And that was so Genesis is actually the, the, the basically the original name for the original Van Halen. name. Yeah. So Mammoth was his part of their story, but no point there. I'm sorry, Mike. Uh, cr- uh, yeah. But next we wanted to know what was the first headlining band that Van Halen opened for on a national tour. Nicole, what did Mike say? Mike said Black Sabbath. And uh, Doctor? So Mike is correct. In June of 1970, in May and June of 1978, through the end of the year, they toured with Black Sabbath. But before that, the first... Doctor, could we stop at Mike is correct? (laughs) (laughs) Mike doing his own editing of the show tonight. (laughs) No, please, please continue, Greg. Yes, you, the the prior band that they opened for was Journey, actually. The Van Halen's first headlining tour was with Journey. This is in March 1978. They flew to Chicago, and they played in the Midwest and uh, toured for a while with Journey. Eventually, they would tour with Black Sabbath. But the first band that actually they supported as a headliner was Journey. So I'm sorry, no point there. But again, Black Sabbath was part of their history. I can understand why you thought that. Mike, are you, Mike, are you okay? Mike, are you with us? <laughs> It hurts me because Mike's a fan. He knows his stuff. Whatever, man. And then, <laughs> I bet you wish we had subjective judging right now. Don't <laughs> Bring in the cool guy who wrote two books that are awesome. Great. Great. I'm you, yeah, I'm what does he know about this? Van Halen? All right, and then finally we wanted to know from Mike, what band song, You Really Got Me, did Van Halen cover for their first release single? Nicole, what did Mike Schmidt say? Mike said The Kinks. And Dr. Renoff? Mike is correct. Yes! Full stop. Full stop. Mike is correct. Full stop right there. Wait, is there, is there a but after the Mike is correct? No, 100% correct. Greg, it's wonderful to have you here. Mike, while we have our expert, anything else you'd like to ask or say to him? Again, I, I can't stress enough how great the Templeman book was, the, you know, heading, discovering the Doobie Brothers. And, I, and also, I made a Spotify playlist just of the songs that he was involved in while reading the book. So I could kind of, wow. after when I wasn't reading, I could go back and listen to the tunes. Because, I, again, I didn't know anything about the guy. All I knew was the Van Halen stuff. And then reading your book brought me into the Doobie Brothers, brought me into his career as a musician, brought in that band that played on the boats and stuff like that. I mean, just incredible stuff. I can't get enough of the Van Halen news, which was terrific, but also to learn so much and to realize just how much of a hand he had in music history was ridiculous for me. And, uh, and thank you so much for, for contributing to that because I loved the book so much. I was really kind of you to say my pleasure. Thank you. Oh, that's very, very nice. Uh, doc, yes, some applause for uh, the love, the mutual love. We love it. Uh, Greg, if people want to find out more about you and your work, where can they do that? Uh, yeah, I'm very active on Twitter for all, all your Van Halen memes, which may be declining in significance as we all get older, but I'm going to keep it up, uh, at Greg Redoff. So at, uh, G-R-E-G-R-E-N-O-F-F at Twitter. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Greg Renoff, everybody. Uh, all right, Nicole, what is our score at the end of that round? Okay, at the end of that round, Mike Schmidt has seven and a half points, and Anna Camp has two points with a round of questions for Anna coming up. That's right. We're going to talk with Anna about a topic she knows about. Plus, later, Mike and Anna will go head-to-head in our Fast Facts round, all to find a winner on Go Fact Yourself. Hey, thanks for listening to Go Fact Yourself. That means you have excellent taste in podcasts. And if you're looking for an excellent philosophy podcast, here is the show for you. 
The Partially Examined Life is a philosophical podcast by four guys who were at one point set on doing philosophy for a living. I didn't even know that was possible. For each episode, they pick a text and chat about it with some balance between insight and flippancy. You don't have to know any philosophy or even have read the text they're discussing to follow along and enjoy. With a 13-year-plus catalog of episodes, The Partially Examined Life has probably covered any philosophical topic you're interested in, from practical ethics to the theoretical foundations of science. They go deep into the history of philosophy while making it personal and funny. So, join the over 45 million downloads already pondering the excellent Partially Examined Life. Find new episodes wherever you get your podcasts or at partiallyexaminedlife.com. And that's why I say... Thank you, Partially Examined Life. Yes, you say it too, Cookie. I'm Yucky Jessica. I'm Chuck Crudsworth. And this is Terrible. A podcast where we talk about things we hate that are awful. Today we're discussing Wonderful, a podcast on the Maximum Fun Network. Hosts Rachel and Griffin McElroy, a real-life married couple. Yuck. Discuss a wide range of topics. Music, video games, poetry, snacks. But I hate all that stuff. I know you do, Yucky Jessica. It comes out every Wednesday, the worst day of the week, wherever you download your podcasts. For our next topic, we're talking Fiona the baby hippo from the Cincinnati Zoo. I hate this little hippo. Welcome back to Go Fact Yourself with our guests, Mike Schmidt and Anna Camp. Once again, here's J. Keith Van Stratton. Thank you, Nicole. Thank you, everybody. All right, Anna, of your many interests, you told us that you know and love Southern Cuisine, the play and movie A Streetcar Named Desire, and the TV show Vanderpump Rules. <laughs> Let's find out a little bit more about each of those. First, tell us what Southern Cuisine means to you. I do like to cook. Um, I'm a big fan of like Cajun-influenced Southern mm-hmm. Cuisine, like gumbo and etouffee mm. and things like that. My mother did not really grow up cooking, so I think that's why I like to cook, because we really <laughs> had like lean cuisines. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to my mom. I love you. You're the yeah. best. You do other yeah. things amazingly, but uh, <laughs> cooking not your forte. All right, Anna, you also said that you know and love A Streetcar Named Desire. I fell in love with all of Tennessee Williams' plays, Cat in a Hot Tin Roof, Summer in Smoke, Glass Menagerie, and another one of my favorites. Streetcar was just something that spoke to me so, so so much I, I actually like learned the monologue when mm. I was like 16 years old and Blanche is supposed to be like in her 30s at the time and I did it in front of my school and I got, I got made fun of for like playing Blanche Dubois at like 16 which looking back I probably should not have been doing that um, well you were dealing drugs when you were 8 <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> You're right, you're right. I ha- I was moving forward you know, and I was rapid So, and then my sister showed me like basically all of Vivian Lee's movies mm-hmm. and um, I fell in love with it and it's something that is just near and dear to my heart and I hope to one day play Blanche. It would be a dream of mine. Very, very nice. Well, you're still far too young. Well, I don't know about that. <laughs> I'm uh, the 40-year-old woman, and I don't have a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Just a 40-year-old woman. All right. And then finally, Anna, tell us why you chose Vanderpump Rules as a topic you know and love. I kind of can't believe that I did that, to be honest. But I did. And you know what? I'm going to own it. So my my boyfriend, we call it our brain donuts. (laughs) So he has his brain donut, and I have my brain donut. And we're like, what are you doing? I'm just, you know, watching my brain donut. 
And Vanderpump Rules happens to be something that I just was like, I can't get enough of it. These people are crazy. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And like this whole scandal thing that happened, I was like, how in the world could this woman be cheating on that? I mean, it was like blowing my mind that this was like actually happening. So yes, I'm a fan. Very good. We celebrate all love of uh, knowledge here without any judgment. All right. Well, Anna, to summarize, you said that you know and love Southern cuisine, the play and movie A Streetcar Named Desire, and the TV show Vanderpump Rules. Today we want to quiz you about A Streetcar Named Desire. Ah, okay. All right, all right. Let's do it. Uh, are there any particularly memorable productions of the show that you've gotten to see over the years? I did get to see live um, a version with, oh, she's since passed. Um, oh, gosh, what is the actress's name? She was Liam Neeson's wife. Oh, yeah, Natasha. Uh, Natasha Richardson. Richardson. She yeah. was so, so, so good. So I saw that on Broadway, and it was incredible. And I've actually seen the ballet as well. Actually, here downtown, um, it was at the Amundsen or the mm-hmm. Taper a few years ago. So, um, I, But I just, I love the the film. I've seen it so many times. I'm obsessed with it. Can I, cool. I saw I saw a cool production of it. At the Steppenwolf in Chicago, I saw Gary Sinise and John C. Riley. Oh, I it. saw John C. Riley. He was in the one with um, Natasha. Yeah. Uh, but but yeah, but Sinise was Stanley and, and John C. Riley was the yeah, it was it was, was, a Mitch. It was so good. So well just good. ahead, we're gonna enlist the help of a bona fide expert in your topic, Anna, with a question worth up to three points. But before that, to let you show your love, here are five trivia questions about your topic, each worth one point. If you want it, you're allowed to hint for any two of these five questions. Don't feel any pressure just because Mike did not take <laughs> any of his hints. Okay. I needed them apparently. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now Mike, do listen closely because if Anna answers incorrectly, Correctly, you can steal. By the way, Mike, how much do you know about a streetcar named Desire? Did I mention I saw a production of Streetcar Named Desire? You did, yes. Oh, no. Yes. Oh, God. So you, saw, you, you have seen it. No, yes, I have seen it. I'm, I'm aware of its presence. Okay, well, that, that was... <laughs> and I'm aware of yours now, Mike. Oh. <laughs> no, I was the whole time. Okay, very good. I love it. All right, here's question number one, Anna. One of the clues to Streetcar's location is the reference to poor boy sandwiches, a staple of one of your other categories, Southern cuisine. What food-rich city, also known for its gumbo and beignets, is where the play and movie take place? That would be New Orleans. That is correct. That is correct. <laughs> Love that city. We also would have accepted Nolens. I almost said Nolens. Uh, <laughs> <I did. laughs> That's all right. Uh, fun fact, poor boy sandwiches, better known as po'boys, were invented to feed striking streetcar workers in 1929. Oh, it all I never comes knew that. back. Yes. Actually, uh, and those were replaced, you know what they used to feed them before the poor boy? What was that? The brain donut. <laughs> It's all connected. (laughs) All right, Anna, here's question number two. One of the most famous lines in the history of American theater is Blanche's final line when she holds the arm of a doctor she just met and says, Whoever you are, what? I've always relied on the kindness of strangers. Nicole? Um, that's almost correct. Oh, <laughs> it's up to you. Are you going to give it to her or give her a half? Or I what? think you should get a whole point for okay, that. Because yes. only because it's the right answer. Mm-hmm. The answer is actually I've always depended on the kindness of strangers. Well, you are depending on the kindness of Nicole because yeah, she's going to give you the full point. Very good. You did not go for the hint. What would that hint have been, Nicole? Uh, the hint. Wait, I got to get this right now, too. Okay, it rhymes with blah, blow is blah, blended on the blindness of blangers. <laughs> Nicole Thurman, everybody. Oh my God. That wasn't my best deep south, but we were... we're what we're a good it. hint. Now, does Mushmouth from the Cosby Kids write all of your questions <laughs> and hints? <laughs> hey, Bamanba. <laughs> <laughs> Fun fact, that line has been referenced by several characters in TV sitcoms, including Hawkeye on MASH, 
Tootie on The Facts of Life and several characters singing the line on perhaps the best episode ever of The Simpsons. <laughs> All right, here's question number three. You are two for two. Speaking of singing, scholars have commented on the musicality of the language in Streetcar, but let's not forget about the musicality of the music. Tennessee Williams's script specifically refers to several songs, but which of the following is not one of them? Is it It's Only a Paper Moon, From the Land of the Sky Blue Water, the Louisiana Rag, the Varsuviana Polka, or Vin Vin Nerd Alain. Oh my God. <laughs> um, I know that it's only a paper moon is in. Mm-hmm. What is the. V- v- not the last one. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for not having the last <laughs> not one again. One, not that There's one. The, the Varsuviana Polka. That is also referenced. Okay. Um, so I think I'm going to need to use one of my hints. All right. How about that first hint, Nicole? Veen Veen Nerdu Alin is referenced in the script. Oh, okay. So the Louisiana, is it the Louisiana rag is not? Nicole? That is correct. That is correct. Excellent use of the hints. Very nice. Uh, One of the characters does also sing from the land of the sky blue water. Uh, And of course, there's that polka scene, as you mentioned. Uh, Fun fact, Veen Veen Nerdu Alin who knows if I'm pronouncing that correctly, uh, translates as Vienna, Vienna, just you alone. Also, bonus fun fact, I thought I made up the Louisiana rag. It, it turns out it's one of the very first published ragtime songs dating back to 1897. Oh, nice. So I'm either a bad maker-upper or I'm an accidental knower of things. Is there, so a, no. way, is there a way we can play it now? Uh, Louisiana rag? I don't know if we can get the rights uh, to that song. from. I don't know if the copyrighted, they keep, they keep it extending out. it over the years, but uh, we'll leave that for our listeners to discover. Okay. All right, Anna, you're three for three. You only have one hint available over these next two questions. Played by actors such as Carl Malden, Philip Bosco, and the aforementioned John C. Riley, the character of Mitch plays a pivotal role in the story. But Mitch is a nickname for the character whose actual first and last name is what? Uh, Mitch's full real name is Harold Mitchell. Nicole? That is correct. That is correct. Very yes. nice. Great job. Yeah. Fun fact, Carl Malden won an Oscar for playing Harold Mitch- Mitchell, one of three acting Oscars the film won, the others being Best Actress for Vivian Lee and Best Supporting Actress for Kim Hunter. Marlon Brando was nominated but lost to Humphrey Bogart in The African Queen. By the way, that was the first time that a movie had ever won three acting Oscars. It just happened again this year, though, with Everything Everywhere All at Once. All right, you have a chance to go five for five as well, Anna Camp. Ooh. Here is question number five. The famous play inspired a famous movie, which inspired a famous painting. Commissioned by Hollywood producer David O. Selznick, the painting is by Thomas Hart Benton and is in the Whitney Museum. What is it called? I know what the painting is, and I'm going to say, I'm going to guess. I'm going to guess. Should I use my hint? But I think I'm just going to try to guess. I think it's called Poker Night. Nicole? That is correct. That is correct. Anna Camp is also five for five. What a game we have tonight. Fun fact, The Poker Night was once the working title of a streetcar named Desire. It was sort of the genesis of a mammoth of its time. Um, (laughs) How dare you? According to the Whitney, the painting documents one of the story's most dramatic and memorable moments when Blanche taunts a drunk and angry Stanley with her petty provocations and refined airs. Mm, yes. Ooh, I love refined airs. Those are my favorite kind of airs. Ooh, I, love ones. I love yeah. a refined air as long as it's not humid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what the AC does. It refines there the air. Yeah. There we go. All right, Anna, you obviously did very well in your topic, but now here's your expert level question that requires multiple answers. It is time for your cluster fact. Ooh. 
We'll be bringing on an expert to discuss your response. And according to the Internet Broadway database, since its original production, Streetcar has been revived on Broadway eight times. Name all of them. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> oh my God, a fail. I would do, I would fail. The most recent revival, directed by Emily Mann in 2012, was notable for many things, including a cast made entirely of people of color, two of whom were making their Broadway debuts. For up to three points, who made his Broadway debut in the role of Stanley Kowalski? What role was played by Broadway newcomer Nicole Ari Parker? And what role was played by Broadway veteran Daphne Rubin Vega? Gosh, I'm unfamiliar with this production, unfortunately, okay. but I'm going to guess here. Okay. I would say that Daphne played Blanche. Okay. Nicole, she played Stella. All right. And then I don't, I do not know the answer to. Would, the first would you like question. to just guess a, uh, a an actor of color who might have made his debut? <laughs> debut, Kowalski. like that's yes. the thing. I don't know if it's a, a Broadway debut. Yeah, that's, okay. that's the thing. I don't. I can't. I don't know. No name on that. Okay, no worries. Well, Nicole is taking note of your answers. We have an expert on hand who can tell us for sure. In fact, we have two. Nicole, who do we have tonight? Joining us tonight via Zoom from New Haven, Connecticut, and New York City, are the director of the 2012 revival of A Streetcar Named Desire and one of its stars. It's Emily Mann and Daphne Rubin Vega. All right, I see Emily and I see Daphne. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. Wonderful to see you. Impressive, Anna, uh, your knowledge of the play. Oh, wow. thank you. <laughs> thank uh, you so much. For those who, who are not familiar, Emily here uh, spent 30 years as the artistic director and resident playwright of the McCarter Theater Center, has two Tony nominations, a Peabody Award, is a Guggenheim Fellow, and is inducted into the Theater Hall of Fame. Hell yeah. <laughs> Whereas Daphne Rubin Vega has had a wonderful career as a recording artist, been on TV and in movies such as In the Heights, Wild Things, Jack Goes Boating, also has been nominated for two Tony Awards, and has been on Broadway in shows like Les Miserables, The Rocky Horror Show, and originated the role of Mimi in Rent. Wow. What a pleasure to have both of you joining us tonight. Thanks. It's great to be here. Now, Streetcar wasn't the first time that you'd worked together uh, on Broadway. Uh, Tell us about the previous show that you had both been on. We did Anna in the Tropics by Nilo Cruz, Mm -hmm. Pulitzer Prize winning play. I directed it and Daphne got her first Tony nomination. Wasn't it the first? It was the second, but... Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Don't you hate it when you have so many Tony nominations, you can't keep track of which one was which? Yeah. One is for a musical and one is for a play. So this was the the play. Very, very cool. Uh, And you also will be working again together on another Tennessee Williams play. That's exciting to find out about. Uh, Daphne, why don't you tell us what that is? Emily and I will be beginning rehearsals for Night of the Iguana um, at the Signature Theater. Oh, very, very cool. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you, Anna. And Emily, you actually got to know Tennessee Williams personally. Tell us about how that happened and, and uh, what that experience was like. I was very young. My first uh, main stage production in a major theater was at the Guthrie Theater in Minneapolis. And it was uh, 1979, actually, a long time ago, just a few years before Tennessee died. Tennessee called me and asked me to direct what would have was his, neither of us knew it at the time, was his last play. Wow. And um, when we got together, we fell into each other's arms and he said, you must do this with me. And I said, but Tennessee, I I think it needs a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to help you. Oh, my God. 
What was it like giving Tennessee Williams notes? Exactly. You know, it is amazing to say I, I turned down Tennessee Williams. You turned him down? Wow. Oh, my God. And he kept saying, oh, but you'll just come down to Key West and we'll wake up every morning and work. And I knew all about what went on down in Key West. And I was not ready. Wow. Well, I didn't do it. Well, Emily, spoiler work. It worked out okay for you. It did work out okay. okay. And I spent so many years after directing almost every one of his plays. So I've made it up to him, I think. I would say so. You know, a spiritual level. Yes. Yeah. Well, let's talk about Streetcar. We had heard Anna talk about how that's a dream role for her. It's a show that she's known and loved for a long time. Daphne, was it the same for you? Is it something that you had uh, been invested in before you had the opportunity to play the role? I loved it. It was fantastic. I mean, I always, there's always this undercurrent about Stella being weak and submissive. I can see how you would say that. I don't think that I, I, I did that. I didn't make the choices. Mm-hmm. I really certainly didn't. Yeah. <laughs> the play is so wonderful that you can really take it and own it and sink your teeth in it and just um, really explore what humanity is. It's Tennessee Williams. You know? Yeah, I read you. I read that you said that uh, the strength that you gave in that role, you really took from the family relationships that were that were uh, in the script. Well, yes. I mean, sisters and dysfunction. Um, mm-hmm. I'm all in. You're all uh, in. <laughs> I hear Tennessee Williams is good for that. Yeah. I don't have sisters, but yeah. I definitely know about dysfunction. Yeah. So. Emily, uh, how was it that you came to end up directing this show? And why why was it that you wanted to put together this uh, ensemble of color? I had spoken to Tennessee about it, actually. I know the culture of uh, New Orleans really well. And it's a Creole city. And that's what Tennessee wrote. And so he clearly was looking at cast and color in how he built the play and once you know that very fair-skinned Black people were also owners of plantations and Mm. they were of French extraction from many layers of slavery, Mm. and since there's a lot of color and colorism and caste consciousness in the Black community, I thought it would be very interesting if one of the sisters, you know, that that Stanley was too dark for that family. Mm. And that's why they had a resentment. Yeah. Yeah. Daphne, I read that there was a memorable interaction that you had during one of the shows uh, with an audience member. Can you tell us about that? What ha- happened this one particular <laughs> evening was someone was taking pictures in the front row. And it was like front row, very unapologetic, just the red light. Mm. I squatted by the edge of the stage and <laughs> put my arm out and just wiggled my fingers <laughs> yeah. until he handed the phone to me, which I found quite remarkable. Yeah. And I t- <laughs> took the phone and put it in a drawer. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like... Nice. So you didn't feel it was right to ad lib. Now, what is this futuristic device? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, (laughs) Oh, my. No, but I I kind of incorporated the physical language of 
I see. You. Yeah, that's what <laughs> it was. The intensity that you brought that you already had with that role. Uh, well, let's talk about uh, what you two are uh, up to now. I know Emily, you're currently working on an adaptation of The Pianist, which people right. are familiar with the Oscar-winning movie, but of course it's based on a memoir that uh, you're adapting. And uh, I saw you say that you said it's the most important story I've ever been entrusted with as a theater maker. Uh, that is quite a statement for the long career that you've had. Why do you feel that way? Well, I guess uh, for me, it's with the rise of anti-Semitism, racism, fascism, all around the world, again, and certainly in this country, that it's a very urgent story to be telling right now. My family was wiped out, murdered in, in Poland, both um, in the Warsaw Ghetto, Treblinka, and um, in a small town. And it's my way of honoring them and telling their story that they can't tell. Wonderful. Wow. Very great. One of the things that you do have upcoming is you're going on your first Broadway cruise. Tell us what that's going to be like and, uh, and what you expect to happen. We're going to go to the Cayman Islands and Key West. So speaking of Tennessee, you yeah. know. Um, so, so, I mean, what could go wrong? <laughs> when are you doing this? In March 2020. Oh, good, Very cool. I mean, it's hurricane season, so I'm, you know. <laughs> well, Daphne, tell us about some of the other actors who are going to be on there. And this is a cruise that, of course, people who are fans of Broadway can uh, join and, and watch you guys perform. Philippa Sue, Stephen Pasquale, even Noblezada, um, Gavin Creel, wow. Christian Borel, and so many others that I hate myself for not being able to. Say them all at once. No, it, it sounds it sounds spectacular. Well, um, let's get to the reason we brought you both here as far as our game is concerned. You heard the question that we asked of Anna. First, we wanted to know who made his Broadway debut in that 2012 production of A Streetcar Named Desire as Stanley Kowalski. I know that we did not have an answer from uh, Anna on that, but we now know what is the correct answer? Blair Underwood. Blair Underwood <laughs> made his Broadway Blair debut. Blair. Yes. And, and uh, Daphne, you were telling me when we talked this week, you didn't realize that that was his Broadway debut. No, no, but I have seen him subsequently. <laughs> ah, okay, excellent. Well, well, I'm glad we did not offend Blair Underwood or anyone, anyone <laughs> of his, uh, his community. Uh, so I'm sorry, no point there. Next, we wanted to know what role was played by Broadway newcomer Nicole Ari Parker. Nicole, what did Anna say? Anna said Stella. And Daphne? I played Stella. She played Nicole Stella. Yes, it was yes. a 50-50 shot, but yes. unfortunately you did get them mixed up, so no there. And finally, the suspense is killing all of us. What role was played by Broadway veteran Daphne Rubin Vega? Nicole, what did Anna say? <laughs> Anna said blind. And wrong. who was it? Wrong. It was me. It, it was, was you as Stella. Stella. Ah, I'm sorry, no point there, but still a wonderful excuse to talk to these uh, two legends. Anna, while we have our experts here, anything you'd like to say or ask of them? Um, first of all, I just want to say thank you so much. And I'm blown away that you guys are here and even talking with me and us all about streetcar. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. And I'm very glad that you picked a streetcar named desire to be my topic. Mm -hmm. I guess I have the, uh, the same question for both of you. Daphne, what was your most favorite scene to oh, play from a streetcar? And Emily, what was your most favorite scene to direct? Daphne? Mm, yeah, I, I like dinner scene, you mm -hmm. know. Um, I, I, you know, of course I love the, the coming down the stairs and the Stella <laughs> and, you know, that, that was wonderful. But I, I was so, like, surprisingly moved by mm. the last line in the play. Mm. Every night I would... Uh, yeah, it was always special. 
And Emily, what about yourself? And we're hoping that you choose a scene that Daphne was in. You know, I, you know, people say, well, what's your favorite? This, what's your favorite? I'm like Daphne on this play. Each and every moment builds so extraordinarily. Mm. I mean, as a director, I was able to bring my own look at it with this particular group of actors. Yeah. Well, you've definitely given us a lot to think about. We thank you both so much for joining us. Uh, I'll start with Emily. If people want to find out more about you and what you're up to, where can they do that? Daph and I are at Signature. In fact, I'm not sure we've been announced yet. Oh, (laughs) we're breaking news here on the podcast. We may be announcing right now. Anyway, it was going to open on December 17th. Excellent. Wonderful. And Daphne, where can people find what you're up to? Nowhere. Okay. Strike, honey. Okay. (laughs) We're certainly happy that you joined us today. Emily Mann and Daphne Ruben Vega, everybody. What a treat. Thank you so much. What a treat for us. Thank you all so much. Hope you had a great time. All right, Nicole, what is our score as we go into the final round? As we go into the final round, Mike Schmidt has seven and a half points and Anna has seven. Oh, very close game. Not bad. But now it is time for our final round we call Fast Facts. I'll read 10 statements and each contestant will answer with true or false. I'll start with Mike and alternate between each guest. Each correct answer is worth one point. Again, please answer each statement with true or false. Here we begin. Mike, your last name is Schmidt. Yes, true. Correct. Anna, your last name is Camp. True. We got a tight game already. Correct. Mike, there is a U.S. military base in Kuwait named Camp Schmidt. False. Correct. Anna, there is a U.S. military base in the United States named Camp Schmidt. True. Incorrect. Mike, there is a juvenile prison in Montana named Camp Schmidt. True. Uh, Incorrect. Anna, there is an outdoor education center in Maryland named Camp Schmidt. True. Correct. Yes. Officially, it is the William S. Schmidt Outdoor Education Center. It is known as Camp Schmidt. Mike, a major focus of that Camp Schmidt program is the overnight visit for fifth graders. False. (laughs) Incorrect. No, don't take that away from them, Mike. Anna, the Camp Schmidt fifth grade overnight trip includes a campfire. True. That's true. Or incorrect. That's correct. Oh, it is correct. That's correct. <laughs> Sorry. Also, what too many words I have to say at once. I know. <laughs> Mike, <laughs> Mike, the Camp Schmidt fifth grade overnight trip includes a wagon ride. True. Correct. Anna, the Camp Schmidt fifth grade overnight trip includes chaperones. True. Correct. Mike, all chaperones must be fingerprinted before the trip. True. Yeah, correct. <laughs> Anna, all chaperones must complete a full background check before the trip. True. Correct. Mike, you don't want to know the reason why. <laughs> True. Correct. Let's give Anna Camp and Mike Schmidt a nice hand as Nicole tabulates the final score. We're not going to count those last few. All right, Nicole, are you ready to announce a winner on tonight's episode? I'm ready. And this is a very close one. So at the end of the game, Mike Schmidt has 10 and a half points and Anna Camp has 11 Congratulations, Anna Camp. You are the faction champion on a very close game of Go Fact Yourself. Anna, what will you do with your championship? With my championship, I would, I'm going to Disneyland. She's going to Disneyland. Very, very nice. All right, we want to give everyone here on the panel a chance to mention or promote anything upcoming that people might want to see or hear. Mike, where can people find what you're up to? I have the 40-Year-Old Boy podcast. It's available where all finer podcasts are found. It's free. 
and also I have a Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash the 40-year-old boy. You can also find my YouTube channel at youtube.com slash the 40-year-old boy. Twitching all the time, playing video games, chatting, eating weird chips. And the YouTube is <laughs> basically the archive of the podcast. And the podcast comes out every week. Like I said, it's wherever you get your best podcast. Nice. Thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Mike Schmidt, yeah. we finally did it. Yeah. Third time's the charm. Anna Camp, where can people find what you're up to? Well, I am an actor and I'm also on strike, but <laughs> I did produce and star in a short film that has no ties to any streamers or anything at okay. all. We raised the money from the ground up and we just got accepted into the Montana Film Festival. <laughs> and I'm very excited and it's called Neodome and hopefully it'll be at a film festival near you. Yay. Excellent. We're so glad that you are near us tonight, Anna Camp. <laughs> By the way, I, I went to an early screening of Neo Dome. It's really, really cool. I recommend it. Oh, Thank cool. you so much for coming. Mike, yes. you wanted to add something? Well, I was just going to ask if that was premiering at Camp Schmidt. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, true. True. Oh, very good. <laughs> La- ladies and gentlemen, my hosting partner tonight has been the outstanding Nicole Thurman. Wonderful Thank job, you. Nicole. Thank you. Where can people find what you're up to? Um, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Nicole Thurman, Nicole with two C's. Thank you so much yeah. for being here, Nicole Thurman. Woo-hoo! And me, you can find me on Twitter at J underscore Keith, on the other socials at jkeith.net, all spelled out. That just leaves me to thank Mike Schmidt, Anna Camp, Gregory Renoff, Emily Mills, Daphne Rubin Vega, everyone here at the Center for Inquiry, and thank you for listening and supporting our show at MaximumFun.org. I'm J. Keith Van Stratton. Good night. Like what you hear? Come see us live. It's happening again. Go to GoFactorPod.com for our schedule and tickets. Meanwhile, please like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, and I think as of today, Blue Sky? All at GoFactorPod. Update our wiki at GoFactorWiki.Fandom.com and buy our T-shaped shirt and mug-shaped mug at MaxFunStore.com. And give us a great review on your favorite podcast platform, like C. Barrelster did on Podchaser. He, she, or they said, this is always one of the podcasts I listen to first. It's entertaining, educating, and just plain fun. Thanks, C. Barolster. Your name anagrams to crab rattles. <laughs> Nicole? Go Fact Yourself is a panel quiz program devised and produced by Jim Newman and Jakey Van Stratton and comes to you via transcription from the Carl Sagan and Andrian Theater at the Center for Inquiry Rest in Los Angeles. Questions were compiled by the Trivia Industrial Complex. We are produced in collaboration with Maximum Fun. Maximum Fun senior producer is Laura Swisher. Associate producer and editor is Julian Burrell. Our show engineer is Dave McKeever. Our theme song and incidental music were written and performed by Jonathan Green. Research assistance provided by Adam Needif. Quiz assistance provided by Brian Phillips and Clint Tauscher. Promotional graphics by Eric Tran. Live show photography by Christine Velada. Live show support from Dave Bianchi and Spencer Marks. Special thanks to Sydney Rudman, Kate Moran, Danielle Thomas, and Josie Lamoth at Untitled Entertainment. Austin Brecht at the McCarter Theater Center. Claire Pokerchak at ECW Press. Christian Malmine, David Lindsay Abair, Colt Cabana, and Jim Underdown and Alice Pine at the Center for Inquiry West. I've been Nicole Thurman. Jake let's go watch A Streetcar Named Desire. While we listen to Van Halen. Yeah! Those have to go together. <laughs> Maximum Fun, a worker-owned network of artist-owned shows supported directly by you.